This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Yeah, you're right. It's Mardi Gras time, y'all, and I believe that's Kermit Ruffins there with the re... The, uh, you will be correct. Rebirth. Rebirth, yeah. Rebirth Brasby. These guys are great. Uh, Kermit's no longer with the band. He has a solo career, but the band still rocks it, and Kermit is uh, a monster uh, down in New Orleans uh, carrying on the traditions. And they used to play for the uh, Hal St. Patty's Day Parade before we have our own brass bands here in town. I would book... New Orleans bands to lead us through the streets of Jackson. We've had the Dirty Dozen, Rebirth, okay. uh, and four or five others. But anyway, we now have uh, Southern Comfort, Southern Comfort, and Epic Funk. Yes, sir. Here, right here in the J Town, we got our own brass bands, which is a beautiful thing. Good morning, Carol. Morning, Mal. How's it going? It's good. I brought y'all some cake, which is divine. My wife uh, got into uh, the Prince Edward Island. Flavors of Prince Edward Island book, a Culinary Journey, a book that I brought back from a trip that I once uh, went on to uh, Prince Edward Island in Canada. For the, I represented the state of Mississippi. I was the head of delegation at this conference. It was the Southeastern States uh, Canada uh, Business Confab, and I went as the uh, the state's um, head delegation. A lot of fun. Beautiful place. Prince Edward Island is fantastic. And I just want to say what a good head of delegation you are. <laughs> You've been head of many delegations. Correct. And, you know, with, with great, great pride as a Mississippian. But regarding the cake, okay, it is call, in the cookbook it's called a warm blueberry brown butter cake. And they're made in small ramekins and they're little small party cakes. Kara made it as a bunt cake, and uh, she added, uh, besides Maine blueberries, which we had in the freezer, a whole— Just happened to have some Maine blueberries. Well, we, we love Maine blueberries. We buy them when they're available, and we put them in the freezer and keep them. So we had Maine blueberries. That's the little tiny ones. They're so sweet and so amazing. So she made this warm blueberry brown butter cake, but she added to make it more southern— pecans of course she did so it is a canadian southern uh, i think perhaps java and i should go warm it up man it's you don't have to warm it up you don't have to. It, it'll warm you up <laughs> yeah. uh, okay when you get into it it's a, it's a wonderful cake i have the recipe here i suppose somehow or another we can put it on uh our site for people to to make it's a terrific cake i would encourage anyone so what else has it. been cooking in the white kitchen you know uh pasta um we've had uh, some fish um uh, all sorts of fun things i uh, can't recall beyond that actually um but i've been eating well and in fact we uh took a little road trip the three of us 
and we ate pretty well. We ate really, really well. I'm still recovering from our Friday night we and did. Drew. <laughs> That's right. We were the uh, all. We were co-grand marshals of the first ever lawnmower Mardi Gras parade in downtown Drew, Mississippi. Which you guys kept reminding me for the first parade. It was pretty awesome. As far as, you know, everybody came out. This is the first time something has happened. And you had, you, you've been a part of many firsts. <laughs> but this one was a good one. Well, I love seeing you at the first parade because you were just delighted when you know, we were marching down the street and we're throwing out beads and these little kids would run, you know, from their houses and you know drew hadn't seen mardi gras beads yeah before and and how you would toss them to those little kids and their eyes would light up and they caught on real quick yeah they knew what was happening after after a few a few lawnmowers and atvs went by <laughs> yeah but it reminded me of the first uh yeah mal say patty's day parade when what did it do malcolm it wound through the streets of Jackson during rush hour. Right, on and a people Thursday were, afternoon. Yeah, people were throwing beads, and the people of Jackson had no idea, but they have been educated through uh, the years. And Java performed so well that he was invited for another opportunity to parade, uh, to join the O'Tuck Society on, uh, for Howl's St. Patty's Parade here in downtown Jackson. He even has his sash. I brought him this morning. What so, a high yeah, honor, very, Java. Very appreciative. Thank you, We just you, have Michael. to say you've worked out nicely. <laughs> That's right. On deep, on deep South Dining. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was a good time. We'll talk more about it later when uh, Stafford Sheridan joins the show. He's going to call in and give us a, an update from the parade and the events. But we had a big time. We ate well. We'll talk about the, what we ate. Uh, a little later on the show. But meanwhile, in the news, Carol, have you been following Cooking and Kopi and what's going on there? Well, I've been kind of off the grid for a couple of weeks, but of course, following and uh, dreaming of all the food on there. Um, I ha- actually haven't turned the oven on except for a couple of times in the last two weeks. And I, well, you've been I, on the road. I've been on the road, but I am aching to get back in the kitchen and I'm already thawing out a whole turkey breast to cook tomorrow. Mm. I'm just kind of having a hankering for turkey. For turkey for, well, for Thanksgiving. For Mardi Gras. Yeah, turkey for Mardi Gras. <laughs> okay. Nothing so wrong we're, with that. we're gonna have we're gonna have turkey and dressing and cornbread. I for, love turkey and dressing. Yeah, and and sweet potatoes. Yeah, there's never a bad time for for that particular meal. But you know, I, that's kind of road food to me. After I've been on the road, when I come home, I always want like a roast chicken or uh-huh. a roast turkey. Yeah, just something that's really grounding. Grounding. And I'm going to make Tim Pierce's mother's cornbread dressing. Tim is one of our most uh, involved cooking and coping uh, members. He shares all the time with us and shares recipes and ideas. He does a magnificent job. Yeah, he's he's grown a big fan base out there. We look to see what Tim is doing to get our ideas for ourselves, but he very graciously shared this recipe a couple of years ago, and it's kind of become the official cooking and coping recipe. Now, in the news, Carol, uh, the Southern Foodways Alliance up at the University of Mississippi is hosting a conversation with one of our favorite cookbook writers and and chefs, although he says he's not a chef. Adrian Miller will be there on Tuesday. 
You know, it was this time last year, I think it was during February, wasn't it, Java, that we had Adrian on the show because he was releasing his his book, Black, Black Smoke, Smoke yes. which is just... Uh, just took the country by storm, and I hope we can catch up with him pretty soon because he, in this one year, has really become the authority for African-American cooking. You see him in the New York Times, quoted in the Wall Street Journal on television. You know, I'm just so proud and so happy for him. And if you'd like to join that conversation, again, Adrian Miller will be on the campus at uh, the University of Mississippi, um, March 1st at 6 p.m. at the Jackson Avenue Center in Oxford. It's free and open to the public, and you will be very pleased to go and meet Adrian and hear his lecture and conversation around African-American food and food ways and his fabulous book, Black Smoke. Yeah, and that's how they celebrate Mardi Gras in Oxford is with Adrian. <laughs> there you go. But um, I wonder where they're going to take him to eat because they have to take him somewhere. Yeah, well, he's he's been coming for so many years yeah. to Southern oh, Foodways. Okay. He's going to tell them where he, he knows wants. his we, way around. He Oxford. knows his way around. But Java, I know you follow him like like I do, and it was interesting to see that he was in Dubai. Yeah, last week they flew him over for some uh, conference on American food. And then this past weekend, I think you caught up with him. He was in in Florida. Yeah, I was trying to. I was. I was. Uh, I want to say this nicely. Uh, stalking him, <laughs> uh, trying to you know locate his whereabouts because we you know we love him on the show and uh, we email from uh, time to time. But he's in travel. That's the only reason. I, like I told you guys this morning, I was this close to getting him in, but he's in in travel en route to Mississippi. Uh, so maybe we can catch up with him soon, though. Good. Stalking is good when it comes to Adrian. <laughs> and if you're in the Hill Country, in and around Oxford, do yourself a favor. Go by uh, this event, March 1st, 6 p.m. at Jackson Avenue Center in Oxford for a conversation with uh, Adrian Miller. Also in the news, Carol, down on the coast, uh, James Beard Foundation news. Oh, there's big news from down there. Mississippi, we are so, so lucky to have Alex Perry nominated uh, as in the James Beard Awards from Ocean Springs, Mississippi, in his restaurant, Vestige. And that is a huge, huge honor. And, yeah, we should, we'll get him on the show. He was actually nominated in 2019, so this is his second time around. And he is in some amazing company of other semifinalists. Uh, Malcolm, have you had a chance to eat at Vestige? Sadly, no, but I just got Adrian's phone number here. You mean Alex's? Alex, sorry. From (laughs) our friend Julian Bunt. He just sent the number, so we now have it, the cell number. So if we can get Alex on the phone, we can congratulate him in person. Otherwise, we'll try to get him on the show later on. But he was nominated for the best chef in the South again by the James Beard Foundation. A huge, huge a award. A huge, huge honor. And uh, I'm sure you noticed that our buddy Melissa Martin from the Mosquito Supper Club was also a nominee. And, you know, I still say that her cookbook is, is my favorite cookbook of the past two years. It's a fabulous cookbook. Uh, have you eaten at her place in New Orleans? No, yet? but I'm going, I mean, now that I'm COVID-free, uh, 
well, I don't mean I had COVID or no, COVID free, but now yeah. that the rules are relaxing and you know it's time to go eat again. I feel a road trip. I feel okay. a road trip coming on. <laughs> I think I think we could touch both places. We could maybe make something happen. Absolutely. So again, we mentioned that Mardi Gras is in the air, and that tomorrow, as far as we know, is Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. <laughs> I'm feeling it. Feeling good. Feeling good. <laughs> And a Mardi Gras, of course, uh, brings on the conversation about king cakes. And Carol, what do you know about those king cakes? Well, <laughs> king cakes are associated with the Epiphany, which is also known as Three Kings Day. Right. Many, many countries celebrate it. And uh, in other places, they're called Epiphany Cakes. Epiphany Cakes. Epiphany Cakes. Okay. And... You know, the king cakes are ovals or rounds, and they're sprinkled with color on the top. The purple, as Java taught me, is for justice. Yeah. The green is for faith, and the gold is for power. Power. <laughs> the Christian origin of these colors is reflected from the jewels that were worn by the three wise men on the night of Christ's birth. So when you go to Mardi Gras and you see the yellow and purple, gold, I should say, not yellow, gold, purple, and green colors, they're not just made up for the Mardi Gras. They, they have a history, and it is related to the king cake. And what about the baby in the cake? Oh, I mean, boy. there's a tradition of putting, I mean, not only babies, which represents the baby Jesus, but other little things in different countries in the cake because when you get that that means you have to bring the king cake that's right and so uh this past weekend when we were in drew mississippi there were some fabulous float slash lawnmowers one of which was a king cake crew with a small child in the middle of a king cake on the hood of some sort of uh, ATV. ATV. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's bring Stafford in and see if he can uh, explain it to us about this. Uh, I think it was the crew of King Cake. Yeah, and he won first place. The crew won first place. Hey, Stafford. Hey, guys. How are y'all? Bring it on home for us. We're talking about recovered. the King Cake. Yeah, I'm still recovering from this weekend, to be <laughs> yeah. honest with you. You know, we're talking about king cakes and all, and the whole thing, the whole Mardi Gras thing is really a Christian thing with Fat Tuesday being the day before Ash Wednesday. And what do you do during Lent? You give up stuff. So what do you do? You eat all the king cakes and drink all the beer and all that by Fat Tuesday because you know you're fixing to give a lot of it up. Well, we are so grateful for the opportunity to have been grand marshals, but we are still in wonderment over the ATV decorated as a king cake with the real live baby on the hood of the king cake. You have to visualize, I mean, the hood of the ATV, yeah. and you have to visualize. The jester. Yeah, the, the king cake, for our listeners, you have to kind of visualize a big uh, oval, oval uh, rubber tire. Yeah. Or, uh, I think it was a tractor, a small tractor tire that they had wrapped in the three colors, and then the baby was literally sitting in the middle of it. And that baby about was a four cold. year old. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was about four years old. He was a trooper, a real he, trooper. He was. 
he was a, a trooper, but he sat in the middle of the king cake for the entire parade. It was 35 degrees, and that baby deserved to win. And let me just tell you, it was 35 going on 15 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> That's the coldest 35 degrees I've ever been a part of. It, it was pretty pretty nippy out there. But we marched from the old... today. Look how beautiful it is. I know, I know. But at least it didn't rain on us. And, uh, no, no, we, we get that. We gathered at the old high school, and we paraded to downtown, where your restaurant, Stafford's, is. And, uh, and you had a beautiful setup. You had vendors. You had music. Everything was decorated in the Mardi Gras spirit. And a good time was certainly had by all, certainly the three of us. Yes, and this is a show about the culture of Southern flavor. And, yeah, we really wanted to talk this morning about the food that you have, which was stellar. Um, the jambalaya was one of the best I've ever had. And and that's you know, a long way from I New Orleans. This. That's his specialty, too. Okay, so tell us about he and, and who who cooked that jambalaya. So Chef Bennett actually is from Jackson. He used to work for Fresh Cut in Jackson before uh, the pandemic hit. And he worked for Dickie Brennan at uh, Dickie Brennan Steakhouse down in New Orleans. So he's got a little background in New Orleans. Went to Le Cordon Bleu, and we've got him up here and Drew doing stuff for us now. And, you know, the jambalaya is one of those things that's not on the menu every day, but our our red beans and rice and our gumbo is on the menu every day. So we kind of have a little bit of that flair, I guess you could say. And made with that two brooks rice, um, we were talking with uh, uh, Mr. Wagner, uh, and, and I got I got a chance to speak with uh, Chef Bennett and uh, Wagner talking about the way y'all incorporate that jasmine two brooks rice in a lot of things, especially the red beans and rice and that gumbo. So the two brooks you know, rice is grown. That's like a neighboring farm. You know, some of that rice they grow literally across the turn road from me. And I've always, I've, I've grown rice all my life. I've been on a farm all my life, and that's my main occupation is farming. So we've always grown the long grain white rice, and that's what I've always eaten. And since I've been doing business with them, they've turned me on to uh, basmati and jasmine, and I've really just fallen in love with those two things. And they do such a great product. Yeah, and it's rare where you're having red beans and rice or jambalaya, and the focus is on the rice. But when you're in rice country, and we were up to our ears in rice country, it is cool to, to talk about the rice as well as uh, the gumbo and the red beans uh, and the and the crawfish tails, which uh, John <laughs> and I enjoyed in the jambalaya. Yeah, thanks to uh, Levy Breaks Food Truck. That was the <laughs> Stafford. Tell us about they your, had some good stuff, too. You got Chris, man. He he does a lot of work in Cleveland, and, and he had some good crawfish, some pulled pork, and some Boston butt. It was, it was smoking out there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Okay, Stafford, so for our listeners, uh, can, can we assure them that you have red beans and rice and gumbo? on the menu quite often if they come to Drew, Mississippi? So every day that we're open, we have red beans and rice and gumbo. And red beans and rice is a, is a side. So if you get a sandwich, like if you get our fried bologna sandwich or something, you can get the red beans and rice on the side. Perfect. <laughs> Strong. Perfect. Or, or that. So we're very new Orleans for, for a place in Drew, I guess. Well, the thing that I wanted to talk about was the Bananas Foster Bread Pudding. I have never had, I've had banana bread pudding, but this was bananas foster bread pudding. It had kind of a burn to it, I guess, like bananas foster. And 
I, I believe there might have been some bourbon involved. Uh, or something. There was definitely some bourbon involved. I went to the liquor store and got that, so I know that was in there. And uh, he put some purple sugar on the top, which turned brown. <laughs> okay, so that <laughs> so was the burn. That was my idea. It, it was not too good, but but the rest of it was totally uh, well, chef. I, I actually liked it. It, it I, so I guess you sprinkled the sugar and then you burned. I mean, you um, torched it on, on top. Well, I think he torched the bananas and all before he put it on top of the bread pudding is what he did. Okay. Well, I I was so taken with it that I was looking for recipes uh, online for the bananas foster bread pudding. And there is a great recipe if you just look up bananas foster bread pudding by Sam Sifton of the New York Times. And you can be assured that any recipe that's published it has been super super tested and is going to turn out for you and um it really it really looks you know pretty easy like like bread pudding yeah i think pretty much what he did was made bread pudding and rather than make a whiskey caramel sauce which is what he normally does he just did banana foster and put over the top yeah. of it yeah, yeah it, it turned out really good. It was delicious. A nod to Brennan's in Absolutely. New Orleans. Absolutely. So, Sherrod, uh, have you set the date for next year's Mardi Gras parade yet? That's what we so want to know, Stafford. It will be the Friday before Fat Tuesday again. Okay. And and I'll throw this out there, too. You know, Cleveland does theirs on Saturday. So we're going to try to work with Cleveland next year so you'll be able to come to the Delta and go to two Mardi Gras parades. You'll be one Friday night and one on Saturday. There's your uh, Delta tourism marketing angle. Uh, so <laughs> if you can right. get, those, get those folks involved, and uh, you can get two Mardi Gras in the Mississippi Delta on one, one weekend and one night. But there were a bunch of people who came over from Cleveland. It was great to see all the people who gathered up there at your place. It was a, the, uh, a nice the group. The was from Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, no, there were a lot of cool people there. We had a big time uh, in the after party. Um, but, hey, Java, uh, you want to shout out to the uh, Lyric Hotel? Oh, yeah, the Lyric Hotel um, in Cleveland, a, a brand new brand new place, was very hospitable to us. Um, also, um, that 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 goodie bag with the with the seasonings mm-hmm. and the uh, the, fri- the fried rib mix. I got I got to get that working in the That's kitchen. That's one of our specialties. I'll have to tell y'all how we do those fried ribs when we have a little more time. I we, think we have we time always now. have time to talk about food. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, it's a crazy thing. Years ago, when we first opened, we were nothing but sandwiches. And we had this lady named Joanne Sandifer who taught us how to fry ribs. And you take a, a St. Louis-style rib and you slice them into singles, raw, boil them for about a good solid hour. And then you just batter them with a good seasoned flour and fry them. And they turn out amazing. Hmm. Who Who knew? Have you ever had fried ribs? I have not. I've had them at Little Dewey's in Starkville. Okay, well, there you go. You know, they're, they're fried delicious. Fried ribs, Java? No, I haven't had fried ribs. So just one so out of three So we can use here. our seasoning yes. to, fry, to fry some so ribs right that's after. That's also great for chicken and stuff like that, but it's really good on fried ribs. Okay. And for our listeners who might know a little bit more about fried ribs than we do, you can call us at one eight seven seven. 672-7464 and talk to us about your fried rib recipe <laughs> or your favorite fried ribs uh, across the state or in the deep south. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. All right, Stafford, so you uh, 
What's next? Uh, you've you pulled off this Mardi Gras deal, and you got the restaurant going, and you got the rice planted or not? When do you plant rice? So we'll start planting rice the last week of March, first week of April, probably. Okay, and your service station reviews, uh, how is all that coming? Where are you at on that? I just released yesterday episode 119, if you can believe that. Wow. Which um, was Fort Ramsey in Van Cleve, Mississippi, and it's uh, pretty cool little place. They've got fried craw- uh, fried uh, boiled crawfish, rather, boiled shrimp, boiled crawfish, sandwiches, and they do a Philly cheesesteak. This from you, Malcolm, about the whole press thing when yep. you get down closer to Biloxi, and it kind of radiates out about thirty miles, and then you get past that, and nobody does press. Yeah, it's so press po boys. They pressed, they pressed. They made a Philly cheesesteak po boy that was pressed. That's what I had. It was pretty good. Mm. So, uh, tell our listeners how they can see your gas station tailgate reviews. So you can literally just go to Google and just Google my name, Stafford Sheridan, and it's probably going to come up on two or three different platforms. And so whatever's the most convenient for you, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, I'm, I'm all over all of it. Yeah, so um, so how, how are your numbers? Last time we talked, you were getting people from as far away as Australia. You still gain an audience there? You know, I'm it's uh, I'm gaining audience in in weird places in America. So the Midwest, I pick them, pick a lot of people up there, and then even in the northeast part of the country, in the south is where obviously most of the people that watch the videos are from the south. But you know, it's, there's some amazement about the whole gas station food culture that we have here when you get out of the south. Some people think it's awesome, and some people think I've lost my mind even eating at a gas station. But they don't know, you know. They don't know what's going on here. (laughs) Well, Stafford, we appreciate you joining us this morning, and we certainly appreciate the invitation to the first ever Lawnmower Mardi Gras Parade and Festival in downtown Drew, Mississippi. We had a big time, did we not, Carol? Yeah, I did have a big time. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to... Talk about uh, the last uh, few days of Black History Month, and uh, we'll take your calls too. I know I noticed we had a call that we missed. I hate that somebody was reporting on some new restaurants up in North Mississippi. If you're still listening to the show, we apologize for not getting to you. Please call back in the next segment, and we will talk to you about that and anything else that's on your hearts and minds. Fill out. Feel free to give us a call again. It is toll free one eight seven seven six seven two seven four. Six four, or you can just send us an email to food at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White, Carol Bucket, and Java Chapman here in the studios at MPB Think Radio. We are happy that you're dialed in and have joined us this morning. And we have been all over the place talking about Mardi Gras and King Cakes. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the conclusion of Black History Month. Uh, but it goes on all year in American history. Uh, the culinary world uh, certainly should be aware of the many African Americans unsung heroes that literally shaped the way that we eat uh, in the South and particularly all in the South but all across the country. And to celebrate or to talk about 
Black History Month, we've got a little clip here from one of our favorite um, people who join us on the show. The author, we mentioned him earlier, Adrian Miller, who, who has a great book out now called Black Smoke, the sort of history of African-Americans and barbecue. We're going to listen to this clip, and then we're going to talk just a little bit uh, more about Black History Month and African-Americans who have contributed to the culinary landscape of the great American South. Yeah, Malcolm, this is from uh, the time where Adrian came on the Deep South Dining and talked about his book, The President's Kitchen, the story of African-Americans who have fed our first families from the Washington, Washingtons to the Obamas. It's a very great, uh, great book. And here's a, like a, a little snippet of uh, what he talked about. What a lot of people don't know is before Truman, um, Congress did not allot any money to the president in order to cover their entertaining and food budgets. So a lot of presidents had to pay for this out of their own pockets. So when slaveholding presidents became uh, came into office, they would often bring their enslaved cooks with them for a couple of reasons. One is they, they were going to get reliable food, and the second is uh, they could save a lot of money. So the first notable example is Hercules, the enslaved cook at Mount Vernon, who cooked for President Washington in um, Philadelphia, because D.C. was being constructed at the time. And um, Pennsylvania had this law that if you were in Pennsylvania soil for six months as an enslaved person, you'd be free. So what Washington did to get around that is right around the six-month deadline, he'd pack up all the enslaved people and bring them back, and he does this throughout his presidency. If you go back in newspapers of the day, they certainly did talk about these cooks, but, um, you know, it just kind of faded over time. So I was happy to, to compile the stories and really present this unique view on the presidency. Um, and, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the African-Americans were in the kitchen before cooking was glamorous as it is today. Uh, because, what you know, back in the day, a lot of people didn't want to be in the kitchen, actually. Uh, you know, they wanted to do other stuff, but African-Americans had employment opportunities severely, uh, you know, circumscribed by um, whites. And so there were only few occupations they could do without, you know, being uh, worried about being too successful. One of my favorite personalities from the book was a woman named Zephyr Wright, who was the longtime uh, personal cook for Lyndon Johnson. And uh, when Lyndon Johnson was pressing for the 1964 Civil Rights Act, he actually used her experiences in the Jim Crow South to persuade members of Congress to support the bill. And after he signed the bill, he gave her one of the pens and said, you deserve this as much as anyone. The interesting thing is that these people were celebrated culinary artists. They were family confidants. And in many cases, they were civil rights advocates. And they gave our presidents a window on black life that they may not have had otherwise. That's Adrian Miller talking about uh, there at the end, uh, Zephyr Wright, the personal chef to President Lyndon B. Johnson. And I've noticed that CNN has been running a, a three or four part series on LBJ and uh, his influence and his times, particularly talking about the Civil Rights Act. And uh, there is the integration of, of culinary with political history. Uh, in the United States. Another notable African-American chef in history is James Hemings, once a slave uh, of Thomas Jefferson's, who became the first American to train as a chef in France. Uh, Hemings introduced European-style macaroni and cheese, Java. Oh, yeah. And French fries, creme brulee, and ice cream to America. 
That's strong. Mm. And Edna Lewis, Carol. Well, you know, Miss Lewis is one of my favorite all-time African-American. She's one of my favorite chefs of all time. Not just, just all, not yeah. just an <laughs> African-American chef. But, um, yeah, she was a very renowned cookbook author and chef. And she, she was one of the most influential figures in modern Southern cooking. And her book with Scott Peacock... The Taste of Country Cooking is, well, that is not her book with, with Scott Peacock, but uh, The Taste of Country Cooking is, you know, a classic. And her book was with Scott Peacock, you know, who is a wonderful chef from Georgia now living in Alabama, won the James Beard Award. In fact, I just made the lemon chess pie mm. out of that book a few weeks ago. That's the gift of Southern cooking. The gift with, of Southern uh, with Scott. Yeah. And we had him on the show one time and what yeah, you know, oh, what an interesting boy. guy we need to. Because he actually lived with her yes. in her later years. In in her later years, um he uh you know took her he she lived with him in his apartment and she developed Alzheimer's and Scott took care of her until her death, and yeah, you know, they they cooked together and did this amazing cookbook. But just you know, uh, something I learned from this recipe I did the other day that was you know a Ms. Lewis recipe. When I was making the chest pie, they she asked that you bring all the ingredients to room temperature before. Yeah, you know, usually I'm just taking the eggs out right. of the refrigerator, sure. and you know it was very important to bring the eggs to room temperature, and um, you know you can just run them through some warm water if you know if you get to if you forget to set them out on the counter. And the other thing was she added them one at a time, and you know fully mixed each egg into the batter. And I just found that technique really interesting, and it was it was a a great pie, but I hadn't been around that much of, of pies. But but I thought that was that hmm. was a unique that point. Was terrific. <clears throat> Abby Fisher was the first, uh, one of the first, if not the first, black cookbook authors. She was born uh, a slave in 1832 and made her way to San Francisco after the Civil War to open a preserve business. Uh, she was encouraged to publish a cookbook, but because she was unable to read and write, she ended up carefully describing her recipes to writers who assembled them into this book called What Mrs. Fisher Knows About Old Southern Cooking, and it was published in 1881. Yeah, that's the really early days of cookbooks. You know, we've talked on the show before about some cookbooks that were done, like during the Civil War, you know, right. a group of ladies in Philadelphia to raise money for the soldiers. But cookbooks were a very, very new thing. Mm. Yes. Now, Carol, you traveled to Chicago recently and had a meal or two. I don't know. You, you, you ate well, and you wanted to share a little bit about that particular experience. And an experience it was. I was invited uh, by a good friend to go to Chicago and eat at a restaurant that I have been wanting to eat at for 15 years. And it's Alenia in right. Chicago. It is a Michelin three-star restaurant. And the chef, Grant Akins, 
is considered one of the great chefs of the world. Mm. And you might have seen him on, on the chef's table. Yeah, and it, what a, a just a incredible guy he is. But uh, you might have read about him in the past few years. He actually had tongue cancer. Oh, wow. And, you know, at the height of his career, he was named best chef in the U.S. This happened to him. It was just a, you know, a long recovery, and he lost his sense of taste. Goodness, I know, you know, for a chef, but, you know, he is a brilliant, brilliant chef. And I don't know what I was expecting because in my former career, Hmm. I was I got to eat at a lot of wonderful places. Well, please share what you what it was. was. Theater. Oh, it was theater. I mean, it was I can't even call it a meal. It was (laughs) it, it was theater. It was about 20 courses. And uh, the room, yeah, he redid the restaurant a few years ago to, you know, to to help envelop your senses when you're doing this. And it was a room. There were about six tables in the room we were in, um, stainless steel tables, cut, you know, comfortable chairs. There were like black balls, like the size of grapefruits, hanging from the ceiling. Okay. Which I thought were, you know, were decorations, but they used smoke, light, uh, you know, all sort of music to to present the food. And the first first course was like a grated freeze dried caviar. Okay. okay. A grated <laughs> freeze dried caviar. caviar. So he's very into the science of food and the uh, you know what's called molecular cuisine, and really bringing the essence of the food. Like it might be one bite, but mm. it's you know the essence. It's just packed with everything. Is just packed with um, so much. So much flavor, and another interesting thing is they work with a glass blower in Chicago. So all of the things were presented on these amazing pieces of of blown glass that added, you know, a lot to the you know a lot to the experience. Wow. Um, just you know, one course which. I would describe, and of course, there's no menu, mm. but you have very highly trained waiters who walk you through each course. Gotcha. But they turned off all the lights and they put a dish on the table. It had like three coconut and and like a volcano in the middle that yeah that that lit up, and it was a Oaxacan dish. Uh, from Mexico, and it was a bowl like of, of mole with some kind of you know protein hmm. on it. And then there was a, a glass. This sounds really bad, Malcolm. It was a glass <laughs> skull, like Day of the Dead, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Mexico, and all that stuff. But it was, it was just fascinating. But the piece de resistance was the last course, and. Again, they turned off the lights. A waiter came and put a large plastic square on the table. It was like the size of a poster board. Okay. There was smoke. There was music. 
there was <laughs> music. <laughs> I can tell you're really you're really impressed. We had the animals blaring out. Don't let me be misunderstood. Oh and, boy! And the and the server started throwing things on this piece of plastic, and like. Uh, you know, making big swaths with with sauces, and then throwing a handful of nuts and a handful of crunchy things, and you know, till it was like a painting mm-hmm. on the table, and then put a block. Jackson Pollock before you realized ja- it was. I, I, that's what I put in my notes, Jackson Pollock, and at the end, a big old block of some kind of caramelized freeze-dried ice cream, which she took a ball-peen hammer and smashed. And then you just got spoons and ate off this. And I, I can tell by by your the look in your eyes that this, <laughs> especially the Oaxacan skeleton, doesn't sound, you know, really appealing. But, you know, the point is, is that food is an experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I thought back on... Food is theater. I, I remember, you know, Benny Hanna Steakhouse. The yes. first time That's I the ever first saw thing that. I thought about was, or, uh, or the waiter coming coming to your table at Brennan's with, you know, with flambe. Right. Um, it, yeah, it, it it was really. Um, oh it boy. just kind of blew all your senses, and at some point, they took. The black balls in the the size of grapefruit pulled one down from the ceiling, and it contained celery root. And they shaved the celery root onto something um, that we now, had. I'm all, I'm all for an experience, Carol. Well, my, my <laughs> but my but my question, and this is a a real question because I know you said it was like 20 courses, and some of them maybe was like one bite. Yeah, where, most of them were small. But were you? Did you have to go eat after this? No, 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 no. I couldn't eat again for <laughs> you know for for a day. But it was it's um, when in the biz in the business we used to sometimes call it food torture when you would have to go to, to a restaurant. And they'd have fifteen or twenty courses. But I have to say about this, it was so imaginative yeah. and creative, and the way it was paced. It didn't like you know drag out all night, but some of them were truly um, one bite. And I, I'm handing you. We're sharing pictures uh, here in the studio. I'm handing you. That is called charred char. It is a finger size picture of Arctic char. The fish. That is charred. Mm-hmm. No. And it is yes. Wait, a piece it, of fish. Yeah. Okay. It, it, that is charred. And you're presented on a colorful glass. That's from the glass. They work stand. with the glass maker. Yeah, the yeah. glass baker. And then you turned it over at the end, and there was a, you know, creamy sauce you ate with the, you know, you ate okay. with the little spoon. Okay, it's it's all weird. It's, it's a linea it's all good. In, in Chicago. It's, it's a linea, it, and it was it was truly. Brilliant, you know. Maybe in a few years, I'll you know I'll go back. But it was, you know, it was like, it was like going to a show. Go, go, yeah, going to Broadway. Except it tasted really, tasted really, really good. Really good. Yeah, it's <clears throat> now this is I have seen an, an ad on television for cookware, and they have these Alinea people on there promoting. Have you seen this? Do you not? No, I haven't. Java, no, I'm I sorry. I, I'm bringing up something that I don't. 
have a whole lot of background on. But there is a commercial that one will see from time to time on television promoting a cookware line, and it has this chef from Alinea in Chicago on there promoting this cookware. And I'll have to. It looks dig to it be. Up. I'm looking it up right now. Um, Grant a Shat's Back Cookware award-winning kitchenware. There you go. It's called. Hmm. <laughs> We're scrolling. Yeah, because I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm It's live radio, ladies and gentlemen. The cookware. <laughs> so but Java in Drew, Mississippi. Yes, while sir. While Carol's scrolling around here to figure out this ad. What was your favorite dish of of the of the event? Oh wow, man! I really do have you, to you, think. You were really stretching out. You were eating the the outside food. The yeah, I really food. have to think about it because the um, the food truck uh, levy breaks in Cleveland. Um, I really appreciate him because he he had the levy sauce. The levy sauce. <laughs> and I mean, if you're out there in the, uh, in the area, uh, make sure you find them. He had some pulled pork nachos, which are really good. We started the day off with those, <laughs> and the crawfish, the um, boiled and, crawfish, and the, bro- and the boiled crawfish. Because when we first, when I first uh, got there, you know everything was setting up right there on Main Street in front of Stafford's restaurant, but you could smell the smoke. The smoke was coming from the food truck, so I had to go over there and talk with him. But also, uh, what Chef Bennett did with that gumbo. Yeah, you love the gumbo. Yes, the gumbo was on another on another level. I know you were really fans of the jambalaya, um, but that bread pudding, Carol, you you were you you pointed me in the right direction because I didn't have it on my plate at first, and you said make sure you go get that bread pudding. Yeah, <laughs> and it was and it was it was perfect for me. My friend Tom Massey went along with us, and he he really enjoyed his eats too. He he had one of everything and two of some. Yeah, and he was a great addition. He, he was. You know, he enjoys he, things like that. But okay. Here I am. I'm scrolling. You're and, doing some research and over there. Malcolm, you are correct. It's called Made In. Made In. M A D E dash N. And just from the little scrolling I'm doing, some of our very favorite chefs are promoting this stuff, including Grant, Tom Colicchio, Nancy Silverton, one of my favorite chefs in San Francisco, and. Sean Brock. Sean Brock is promoting oh. Made In. Well, if if our listeners are so inclined, check out Made In. It is a cookware line that uh, a number of these celebrity chefs now, Carol, uh, have you, endorsed. With the Everyday Gourmet, talk about the importance of some good cookware. Because you don't want to mess no. around. If if you're really in the kitchen, you don't want to mess around with the, with the box set that, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, you, you don't. A box set is really good, but you've got, you have to have good cookware. And I'll start with non-stick stick pans. Yeah. it uh, The pan is as good as what it is bonded to. So when you get a non-stick skillet, make sure it it is a, you know, heavyweight or has some heft to it, take care of it. Don't use metal utensils. Don't put it in the dishwasher. And, you know, love upon your nonstick. Um, I don't really care for nonstick in anything other than skillets. But mm. my my personal favorites are the cookwares that are, that are a multi-ply cookware. You know, copper is the best conductor of heat, but, of course, it's a precious metal and... In our modern world, we don't um, 
have the time or the energy to clean it. But many of these clad cookwares have a very tiny layer of copper or and also aluminum in the middle, which conduct the heat, okay. and then have the stainless steel surface, which um, you know is very sanitary and cleans up well. But yeah, you know, stainless steel is not a good conductor of heat. So if if you're into stainless steel, like most of us are these days, make sure that it has an aluminum core or is clad with aluminum and copper or something hmm. inside, and. I think cookware is a great investment. Yes. It's not a place. I mean, if if you, you know, if you're on a really limited budget, you know, save up for one pan at a time. And I, I would also say to keep your cookware really, really in good condition. Do not put it in the dishwasher. Right. It, but, I mean, it's okay. It goes. I know people do it. They're busy, but you know, some dishwasher detergents have, especially the more generic ones have you know materials that'll kind of do tiny pits in it and And also the expanding and contracting of the metal with the you know with the heat and cold and the dishwasher isn't great for it so hand wash and a tip you turned me on to some time ago it may have been covid related but it it applies to every day when you're washing your your skillets uh, and your and your cookware don't forget to wash the handles Yes, and the bottoms. And the bottoms. That's right. Because That's right. they build up as well, and they need to be clean. And it's so interesting because some of these tips I learned from really well-known chefs who I bet haven't been around a, around a dish pit washing, yes. washing dish, <laughs> dishes, but they do in their own homes. And so they apply those, you know, those principles to home cooking. And as we know, you and I are not professional cooks. We are Home, home cooks. cooks. And we are proud to be the host of Deep South Dining, where many home cooks gather, both here on Monday mornings and on our website, Cooking and Coping. And we are always happy to hear from you, whether you call in, send us an email, join us uh, on Cooking and Coping, or just listen to the show and or the podcast. We are happy to have you along for the ride. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners just like you, and we thank you. Our show today was produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, and our special guest today, Stafford Sheridan, I'm Malcolm White. We ask that you stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey's show, Now You're Talking, Followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And again, please join Carol and I every Monday for more Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio.